All right, well, let's dive into our next section on the Gospel of Luke. We'll start in chapter 2 and start in verse 22 and look through the end of the chapter. At this point, you should have read it and kind of retold the story a little bit. Make sure you kind of understand what's going on as a whole here. I want to give you just a few notes kind of as we move along. This is a, a really cool passage where we see some of really our only glimpses of Jesus' childhood, and we see it through two events here at the Jerusalem temple. The first event brings Jesus, Mary, and Joseph to Jerusalem, and this is very shortly after Jesus' birth, for probably three reasons uh, from what we can gather. Purification, redemption, and consecration. So the law of Moses that it speaks about, or the law of the Lord, I think those are synonymous. Remember, that's the Mosaic Covenant, or that's the agreement that made God made with his people, who are now called the Jews in the first century here, and that's found in the first five books of the Bible, Torah, or the law. And these were the rules that were created by God to allow a sinful people, an impure people, to live in the presence of a perfect and holy God. So, one of those rules, per Leviticus 12 in the law, uh, 40 days after giving birth to a male, a woman was supposed to bring to the temple a burnt offering and a sin offering. This was for purification for her and maybe for the husband, like it says here, uh, for Joseph, it was for them, uh, because her giving birth had made them unclean uh, just because of the blood uh, uh, that was present there. And so they were to offer a burnt offering, which in this case was to be a lamb, or if you couldn't afford a lamb, Leviticus said that it could be a pigeon or a turtle dove, and you were make a sin offering also of another pigeon or a turtle dove. So Mary brought two pigeons, which tells us that uh, the family didn't have a lot of money since they couldn't provide the more expensive lamb. Uh, so we learn a little bit about Jesus' family there. And she was just following the law of becoming ritually clean in making these offerings to the Lord. The second thing that we see here in what she's doing per Exodus 13 and Numbers 18 is that a firstborn child had to be redeemed or had to be paid for with five shekels of silver when they were one month old, about the time that she would also need her purification. So that was just to kind of serve as a reminder, in short, um, of the, the death of the firstborn in Egypt when God rescued the Israelites. It would remind them of that. This life is, is, is costly. And uh, so it was made redemption for it in five shekels. And then in addition, we think um, to the purification and the redemption, it seems like Mary was also kind of offering Jesus in a special way for service to the Lord at his temple, really similar again to Hannah that we see in the beginning of 1 Samuel 1. Um, it, Mary seems to be kind of really living into that. I think she was really familiar with that Hannah story, even as we saw the, the, the poem that, that Mary writes or sings or prays um, is very similar to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 1. So a lot of little connections there, uh, but just setting apart for Jesus to have a special service unto the Lord, uh, kind of like she had been told would happen. So a couple things to, to point out here. In Christ, all the requirements of the law were being fulfilled. Jesus was able to do everything that the law required, even as a tiny child, right? And, and in part here because of his faithful parents. He was also circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law we read just at the end of the last section. Okay, so he's keeping all the requirements of the law, even from infancy. And another thing just to realize here is there's, there's something really ironic kind of happening here that the events surrounding Jesus' birth, these sacrifices 
for sin and for uncleanness would really all find their completion in Jesus ultimately becoming a sacrifice for sin. It's a really interesting thing that happens when sacrifices are being made for sin and, and Jesus is present. So Jesus as a, a newborn here, I don't think sees the connection to his life that's going on there, but we have to wonder that as he began to age, when would he realize that he would become the sacrifice for sins and in the place of these other offerings? Um, I don't think even Mary and Joseph probably made all those connections, but they did know, they had been told that he would be a savior based on what the angel had said. And, and Joseph had been told in the book of Matthew, I believe, that he would save their, his people from their sins. Another thing that we should notice in this portion, um, I think, that stands out to me is just this is a great story of two elderly people who, for the majority of their long lives, waited faithfully on the promises of God. Anna, it says, she didn't depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Simeon says, okay, finally, now I've seen the Messiah, now I can die. What great role models they are for us, just faithful to the very end of their life. Simeon and Anna were waiting patiently for God to come through. They're examples of faithful Jews. They were expecting the Old Testament prophecies to be fulfilled. The prophet Isaiah had spoken a lot about the comfort that God would bring to Zion or to Israel. So we read in verse 25 that Simeon was waiting for the consolation or comforting of Israel. He was waiting. And of course, there's lots of predictions in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, the king, uh, who would come to restore the glory of Israel and Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would see that Messiah in his lifetime. So he was waiting for this moment. Not only that, but the Old Testament had spoken of a future light for the nations, the Gentiles, a salvation that would be seen, that would be noticed all around the world. And Simeon's prayer is filled with the language of these prophecies, specifically the prophet Isaiah. And he was waiting for that time. And Anna committed her whole life to fasting and prayer until she saw the Messiah and started telling everyone, it's here, redemption. It's what we've been waiting for. So what marvelous examples of waiting on the Lord faithfully uh, to deliver his promises. We also have to take a quick look at what Simeon told Mary uh, in verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So this child, Simeon says, brings with him not only good news of salvation, but bad news of opposition, and even with his own people, Israel. He's a sign that would be opposed. At the very end of Luke's uh, sequel to this book, the book of Acts, uh, we read about Paul who's under arrest. He's still trying to tell the Jews, this Jesus, he's the hope of Israel. And the Jewish leaders in Acts 28, they acknowledge that everywhere his message is being opposed. Jesus would be opposed. He would be offensive. And Simeon 
again, very familiar, it seems like, with Isaiah, because Isaiah said, and he of the Messiah, he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. Uh, that was said in Isaiah 8.14. So while Jesus would, in a positive sense, he was, he was a light for revelation, this would also, it would reveal the hearts of people. That's some of the revealing that would happen. And many who had thought that they had it good with God would actually reject his Messiah when the light was shown on them. And so Israel and really the whole world, as they see this salvation, would be divided. And aren't we? Hasn't that happened? Doesn't the light of Jesus reveal and expose who we truly are so that some run to him for salvation and many run away opposed? As Mary said in her prayer in chapter 1, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. It's, it, it's come out. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he's exalted those of humble estate. So let's not be mistaken here. Jesus is a light for revelation. Revelation for glory or offense. For salvation or for damnation. And that's what Simeon assures Mary, um, along with telling her that for her specifically, the opposition to Jesus would feel like a sword through her own soul um, as his mother. In the next section, Jesus takes another trip to Jerusalem with his parents. Um, all the men were supposed to go to Jerusalem three times a year, uh, the Passover being one of them, as is the case here. And sometimes the family would come along, as Mary and Jesus did. Uh, people would oftentimes travel in large groups, as they did here. Uh, this from Nazareth to Jerusalem was about a three-day journey. And uh, Jerusalem in Jesus' day, we believe at the time of Passover, when all these people are visiting, might quadruple in population, maybe to 100,000 people or so, when normally it's a much smaller uh, city than that. So a lot of people kind of converging on the city here. And a couple of things that I want to draw attention to that I believe Luke is drawing attention to. One, Jesus was 12 years old which is considered not yet quite a man by Jewish custom, which would happen at age 13. But he's hanging with the, the men here in, in incredible knowledge and understanding, even as such a small child. Um, if you just picture that, a 12-year-old, think about a 12-year-old that you know, and just sitting and, and having conversation with teachers and rabbis. Um, it seems that Luke, I think, wants his readers to know that... Although Jesus uh, worried his, his parents, he didn't disobey them. Real specifically, he says in verse 51 that he continued staying submissive to them. So here again, I think Luke is providing some emphasis that this kid never touched sin. Not as an infant, thanks to Mary and Joseph abiding by the law, and not even as a child, as he remained submissive and honoring his parents which tells us a few things. First of all, lucky parents, right? <laughs> a, a sinless kid, that's great, but maybe not so lucky based on what Simeon had told Mary, right? Um, it tells us that because he didn't have sin, he would be, or thus far, was a suitable sacrifice for the sins of the world because he didn't have any sin of his own. And we see also, maybe you could say that this kid, Jesus, he's different than any other person ever in all history. 
Another thing to notice here is that when we see Jesus refer to the temple as my father's house, my father's house, that's significant. Uh, the Jews didn't view God or speak of him quite so personally. They might call him father in heaven or our father, right? Like in the, in the prayer that Jesus gives. But this is unique where Jesus says, my father in my father's house. Seems that Jesus at 12 years old knew about his unique relationship that he had with God. Maybe Mary had told that to him as he was growing up, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus was in fact the son of God. And he's here identifying himself. He's separating himself in a way from his earthly father of sorts, right? Um, look at that in verse 48. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So there's nothing wrong with Joseph, as far as we know. From all we can tell, he's a, a good, upright man. But he wasn't technically Jesus' father. God is. And I don't know if it's on purpose, but this is the last time that we see Joseph in the story of Jesus' life. Jesus' true father was God himself. And at the end of each of these two sections, even we read that the favor, the special favor of God was upon Jesus. So here in, we have Jesus' childhood described in two incidents at the temple. And we learn, among other things, and observations that you'll make after this, that Jesus was perfectly living out the law, even as an infant, even as a small young boy, even through his terrible twos, we have to assume. Um, Jesus was bringing light into the world, which was good news and difficult news, because he brings conflict. And Jesus was beginning, even in his young age, to show himself as the very Son of God. And all this is being illustrated, I think, really beautifully at a place where historically God met with mankind, the temple, the place where the Jews for hundreds of years had come to be near the glory of God. And here we see all these people, Anna, Simeon, the Passover travelers, all converging on Jerusalem with hopes, long-term hopes and expectations that Messiah would come. And come he had even coming in the very glory of God himself in this child, Jesus, the Savior for all people.